and make make whatever it is that you're doing, whatever reason that you've got for popping that bottle, make that your special celebration experience. It can be when, you know, you're creating that report at two in the morning that you should have done at six uh, <laughs> last week. Um, or you're with a group of friends or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be some big, amazing experience in order right. to enjoy beer. You know, anything can be elevated as long as we create a beverage that is elevated. And that's what we try to do. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. You can't see that, but it's so pretty. Hear how pretty it is. Happy New Year! <laughs> Too much liquid, baby. Okay, I'm stopping before we break the glass. No, hey, wait. Oh, you know what else, though? Because <laughs> that is not a good way to start the New Year. Um, I do not want to start with a broken glass and wasting all this great beer. But if you're in Russia, don't you break the glass and say. Uh, no, you don't. What do you say? In Russia, you say that's like Greek, I think. No, it's Russia. Russia, you break the glass and say Nostrovia. It is, no, no, it's not Russia. Nostrovia? It's Nostrovia. No, it's... I've I been watching so. The Great. Oh. Well, What's it then, called? What the hell? I haven't been watching that show. I don't know what All right. If on. any of you are listening, you know what the hell I'm trying to talk, oh, say. Yeah. Just tell me. Shame Anyhow, I have a question when I was thinking of Happy New Year. You ready? What do you think what do you? Of? What do you get when you cross a chef and a, a brewer? I have no idea. You're holding it, and we're about to drink it. Oh, you get Odd Lang Syne? Odd Lang Syne from? Burns Family Artisan Ales. Yeah, and it's a, not a very low ABV beer <laughs> either. No, it's a 16, 16.1% brandy barrel aged English barley wine. Don't say that five times fast or your tongue will get twisted into knots. Um, it and will after you drink this. Especially after you drink it because 16.1%. Woo, mama. But we're sharing it. And we're making... Oh, we're not sharing this with anyone. With you and me. We are not sharing this with you. This is going down tonight. With you and me, we're sharing it. Oh, yes, we're sharing it. And we're making a simple... (laughs) We're making a simple um, evening of recording our first podcast of the new year in 2022. What? A special celebration. I'm in a beer coma, sorry. Welcome to 2022 podcast with Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so since I kind of derailed you, I think where you were going with this was that... um, The creators of Odd Lang's sign that we were drinking, Burns Family Artisan Ales. Yeah, with their approach to beer is not just to take the beer to an experience. The beer is the experience. 
So no matter what you're doing, you can make it a special celebratory moment just by having a good beer because that beer just adds something to the moment, whatever that moment is, even if it's just sitting, talking with friends around the table, chit-chatting. Or recording a podcast. Recording a podcast, which we're doing right now. We've added their beer. And I mean, it's fantastic. And it makes this just a fun experience in addition to what we're already doing. Or taking an online test. Could you drink a beer and make that a special moment if you're taking some sort of online test? I don't know where that thought came from. I don't know where it came from either. Okay. Well, you could do that if you really wanted to. You could. Okay. If you're wondering why we're talking about Burns Family Artisan Ales is because we have Wayne and Laura on our podcast this for this episode. Yeah, they were... Um, who are they? Who are they? Yeah. They are Burns Family Artisan Ales. That's it. That's <laughs> they are the Burns family. But um, yeah, they're the ones who created this fantastic liquid that's sitting before us right now and many other fantastic liquids in their brewery. But um, yeah, we sat down with them. We actually sat down with them before we left Denver at the towards the end of 2021. But, you know, we had a little holiday stuff to do before we yeah, really unleash this episode on you. And, and we thought this would be a great um, episode to introduce 2022 because they have some really great beers. Also, though, one of the things that's a calling card for Burns, Burns Family Artisan Ales. Burns, I will probably just say from now on because I'm twisting my tongue, is that they are really renowned, renowned for making some big ABV, high ABV beers that are super tasty and easy to drink. Not like you want to sit there and drink like 10 of them in a row because you would just be obliterated, but that's not the point. The point is that they make these really wonderful, tasty beers that a lot of them are 12, 14, 16% ABV or even higher. But they also make a lot of other beers that are more sessionable and you can sit down and drink, you know, if you want to drink two or three pints or four pints or whatever, they make those as well. So I don't want you to think they're just big beers like this that you can only have a little bit. However, there are big beers though now, tis the season. Like, and that is like a good thing and a bad thing. So like I'll drink these big beers any time of year, but a lot of people seem to think that like tis the season per se, like I just said, that the big beers are meant for the winter months. But Think about it. Like, this is like a wine. Like, you have an experience with wine or you have an experience with a good handcrafted spirit. Mm-hmm. You can also, and, and you'll pair those with meals as well, too. And you do that all throughout the entire year. So that's the same thing with these big beers. They're not, that are from Burns, they're not meant just for the winter months or the cold months. They're meant to be drank all year round with whatever you can pair them with, whether it's some, like we said earlier, a special celebration or something that you just want to make special. But you can pair these with any kind of food or any kind of event all year. It doesn't have to be the cold winter months. I would say that what, and this is getting a little bit on the beer geeky side, you know, which I'm good at, but it's, uh, I think part of that, that, the reason for that, I think, part of the time is because a lot of the big beers that you get are really heavy, thick, viscous, Russian imperial stout is what I'm thinking. Kind of like, you know, pours like motor oil kind of beers. And those 
can be a little harder to consume when it's hot outside and you know you're in the 90 degree 100 degree heat of summer or whatever wherever you're at but that's one thing that to me really sets burns off from other producers of high abv beers is that the approach isn't just throw as much as much um grains and stuff as you need into that beer to get high alcohol it's a very curated approach and a very tactful approach to high abv beers so that they do drink more like a wine would not flavor wise but they drink as in the body is there that you can sip on these with a nice meal even when it's 90 degrees outside or 80 degrees or whatever it is where you're at which is what we we just want to make that point, but so. the conversation isn't all about that per se. No, the conversation. This conversation is not. Yeah, that's me. Sorry. The conversation <laughs> with Wayne and Laura is basically like I like to say, like kind of how they grew up alongside the beer because and each other. Yeah, because they're partners yeah. in life and in business, and it's mm-hmm. just interesting hearing their story how they both got started um, in the business and like how they met. And so that's you know that's you know that's us. We always like the stories behind the beer. Mm-hmm. So it's you'll learn a lot from them. I think you'll gain a lot of wisdom too. And actually, um, speaking of it, Laura's um, also a Cicerone. But I also wanted uh, to bring up Cicerone because I, Kenny, didn't you say something about? I thought you wanted to do something <laughs> with a Cicerone. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let me first say that I'm looking at. I would like to get the beer server certification from Cicerone, which is a different kind of. It follows along the Cicerone path, but to become an actual Cicerone, if I pass that test, I am not a Cicerone. I'm a certified beer server, which means I have the knowledge, a pretty good knowledge of of beer and how to serve it and how to work with customers and all that kind of stuff. But it is not the same as if I were to call myself a Cicerone, which Mm -hmm. I could not at that point. And that's something that um, Laura is. So what's the difference then? Does she have to do more tastings and like be able to identify yes, there's specific types? There's a lot more that goes into becoming a level one Cicerone, um, which has a lot to do with taste. You have to be able to identify beers better by flavor and just sampling them. You don't necess- You don't have to do that so much as a um, server. So you have I- to learn a lot as a server, but nothing near the level of a Cicerone, which for anybody that's familiar in the wine world, uh, you know, in the wine world, you have sommeliers who are wine experts, and there are different levels of that. In the beer world, they're also called they're called cicerone instead of sommelier. But we go into a little bit and more detail in that. Like she it goes. It just means she it. knows her crap about beer. No, it just means she's smarter <laughs> than you. She's way smarter than me when it comes to that beer <laughs> stuff, man. Are you kidding me? I'm like but intimidated wait. on that that Cicerone level. It's like, wow, that's that's some amazing beer knowledge. So you've been talking about doing like the server portion of it for mm-hmm. a very long time. A long time. Yeah, but you're I should actually probably just do it. Taking steps, aren't you? Because didn't you serve at? Yes, you, I, I yeah. got some real world knowledge by, um, you know, we've got a lot of friends in the beer world, and some really good friends of ours in the beer world are at Strange Craft Brewing and. Um, Tim, who owns it, and Tyler, who runs it, <laughs> runs the tap room. Um, they let me come in and work behind the bar for a night with them, with. I worked with Tyler for a, a whole shift and got to really experience what it is to be behind that bar. And what did you experience, Kenny? <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't anything that surprised me as far as like what 
the things you have to do. You know, obviously there's the usual minutia of a job and pouring beer and dealing with customers and blah, blah, blah. But I came out with an amazing respect, a newfound respect for people that work behind the bar because they are doing a lot of little different things all at once, you know, dealing from serving people to cleaning up the tap room, picking up your empty glasses and, you know, running tabs and having to deal with people who might be a little belligerent because they drink a little too much. And then you have to deal with somebody who's like, you know, you need to slow them down a little bit and different things. And it takes a lot of tact to run the bar and a lot of just being on your toes all the time. So I have a massive newfound amount of respect for anybody that works behind the bar. So all I can say is if you're dealing with somebody behind the bar, yeah, be nice <laughs> and tip well. Mm. Cheers <laughs> to the servers. Yes, cheers to all the servers out there, all yeah. the beer tenders and just all the servers in yeah, general. Yeah. But So maybe on that note... It doesn't really connect too well, but I don't know. <laughs> bring... Well, actually it does because as a brewer and brewery owners and all that, you're still serving. You're still behind the bar. You're still doing all the things that your employees are doing. Oh, so, yeah. And at yeah. Burns, you know, Wayne and Laura are um, – they're the key employees there. And they are, you know, a small crew and they run their tap room just like any server because they have to be they are the servers a lot of times as well as the ones who are producing the beer and promoting the company and 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 all the things you have to do so let's let them tell the story because they're really interesting and fun to talk to and they know their shit believe me so and april knows that if she doesn't cut me off pretty soon i will just talk all night um before you sit down and really get into this podcast what i would do is i don't know if you already have some beer from burns crack it open join us or just find a really good beer that can make this event just um, special or not, or just make it an experience. Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Just crack open a beer and make listening to this podcast an experience. Yeah. I agree. All right. Here's Wayne and Laura. Ready? Ready. Set. Go. I'm going? Okay. We're, <laughs> You're the I, always have, I always have to be goofy. Um, we're on location here at Burns Family Artisan Ales in Denver, Colorado with Laura Worley and Wayne Burns. And we're Thanks excited to, to talk to you more about your brewery and your love for beer and anything and everything you want to talk about. All right. Well, well, let's not go down that path. No? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we, should, we should have had more beers first. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let's go. And we go down that path. <laughs> How about we start with maybe just your story and kind of who you are and why we're here and why we maybe like you? Um, uh, gosh, my story. I suppose um, um, many things in my life, the relevant pieces to Burns Family Artists and Ales is um, I am a professional chef. Um, I ran my own catering company for a while in Michigan, um, which is where I was born and mostly raised. Um, and uh, got into the brewing community because I didn't have the heart to tell Wayne that I didn't drink beer, that I preferred (laughs) single malt scotches instead. um, He told me he was a brewer, and I was like, "Um, not impressed, but um, (laughs) I didn't drink beer, so why should I be impressed? Um, But wait, can I ask what's in your hand right now? Beer. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I learned, right? So um, I I knew nothing really about uh, the craft beer industry, um, you know, and I I actually didn't even really drink very much um, 
raising two kids, um, Nat Wayne's my former husband, and um, yeah, so um, wasn't impressed with beer in general because you know you drink a can of beer and then generally you have to use the facilities and then you drink another can and it's about the same rigmarole over and over and I never I never experienced craft beer so um, on on my first outing with Wayne we went to the brewery that he was working at Coonan's in um, Warren Michigan and um, he said what kind of beer do you like <laughs> And again, I didn't have the heart to say, I hate <laughs> I beer, thanks. <laughs> um, and so I had I recently discovered Goose Island Brown and was enjoying it. Um, so, so I said dark beer, like all people do when they're first experiencing beer. It's either light or it's dark. And so Wayne brought me a dark beer in um, a glass larger than that that actually held probably uh, 17 or 18 ounces and it was full um, to about 15 16 ounce mark with um, the blackest concoction that I had ever seen and I had I proceeded to drink it like it was a goose island brown because because yeah I it, it was beer. It was, I mean, it was beer. Yeah, That's yeah, the only right. thing I know, right? You don't sip beer. <laughs> right. You drink you, beer. You drink right? beer and I, I'm anticipating a kicker here. So well, I'm I did sure. not fall off the chair, which I guess says something about my liver. Or, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, and I, you know, it was a 15 and a half percent Russian gosh. Imperial Stout. Um, that is one of Wayne's hallmark beers, um, and it was very delicious. And it didn't show the alcohol content, so that didn't put her off from drinking rather than sipping. Right. Oh, Do you remember right. what beer it was? It's Solar Eclipse. So okay. yeah, and Solar Eclipse is Wayne's hallmark brand that he um, started when. Well, I mean, you can tell this, that story. Um, Okie dokie. <laughs> yeah, I guess segue to Wayne. There we go. Well, wait though, you, you got to your second, that your, was it your first date or your first date? Well, it, was a, it wasn't even really a date. Okay. It was more like a, uh, we went out for coffee after an event that we were at and um, there was just Introduced through a mutual friend, so it wasn't really even a date. Yeah, ginormously long line to get coffee at one in the morning and so... We decided we weren't going to wait in that line, and he suggested to go over to, at that point, he said, my brewery, um, which of course put well, a different a key spin. Well, it was closed at right? that time. <laughs> <laughs> put a different spin on, ooh, I'm a brewer. I'm like, oh no, wait, maybe he's an owner of something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not yet. But, yeah, not yet, not at that point. Um, and it was the Kunin's Brewery. Um, the brothers are delightful, and um, we, he had a key. Um, as he should, if he's going to be monitoring all aspects of beer. Going in and brewing beer. Right. Yeah, um, nobody else wants to come in the same time you do to, right. to heat up water. And, right, right. <laughs> you know. So, um, so that, was, that was, I suppose, get-together number one. And, um, and we, went, we went out. We, um, there was a regular games night that he did with a couple of people, One, um, a guy who actually Wayne started home brewing with before he became a professional brewer 30 plus years ago. Um, and they would get together every Friday and play board games. Wayne would supply the beer, they'd supply the dinner, and I became involved in that. And um, it was a, it was a, a, a forced progression um, learning 
how Wayne would smell anything that was in a glass that was put in front of him, milk, butter, um, absolutely anything. It would have to pass by his nose. And um, he and his his friend that um, started homebrewing with them were beer geeks. Just all this talk about all this stuff all the time. And I remember leaning over to um, his friend's wife and saying, I will never smell my beer. <laughs> and Until today, <laughs> like two weeks later, and I kind of, I kind of just, I, you, you can't see this, but I am passing the glass in front of, not really in front of my nose. I mean, it wasn't really very close at all. It's kind of sort of in front of a few my few inches nose, away. Bend down to my lips, uh, because I will deny that I smelled that beer to this day. <laughs> and um, and she's like, oh, I caught you. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like. Um, so, you know, learning, learning the craft, um, and especially just listening a lot, I'm, I'm a chef. So there's a lot of similarities between, you know, all the chemical reactions and it's cooking, right? Um, well, especially the craft part of it, because on the right. craft side, it's very much like being a chef where you're putting all the different ingredients together to come up with a final result that may seem nothing like all the individual ingredients on their own. And that's, and that's pretty much kind of how, how Wayne and I, um, you know, how, how we became interested in starting a brewery together was I, I would heavily criticize his beers where everybody else is going, oh my God, Wayne made it. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, couldn't you do better? Uh, and, um, and, and not that they weren't good. I was, just, you know, I was like, what is this thing? And why did you do that instead of this? Um, and then, you know, just, just learning the craft and it, it's second nature to fall into that. Just like you said, I'm a savory chef, so I'm not a pastry cook. Um, so I do do a lot of those mixings and flavor um, balance things. Um, so, you know, learning the beer and what to pair it with and how it can be a full experience is eventually what led us to thinking that we'd be good as a team working together to create beer because I can do more actual recipe development mm -hmm. um, where he does a great job too. And, but I can add a few, a few of my own little knowledge pieces of how to put together a plate or a, you know a dish or whatever and um and he knows how to brew so um That's a good pairing yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so before we go over towards your more of your story there's a few things that are just like rattling in my head right now that i have to say so sure. i don't want to well let me actually go back you were talking about smelling beer and i just had to tell this story because recently i was caught for some crazy reason smelling my glass <laughs> i was just like wait i don't want was that when you I had don't COVID? Even know I don't know why I was doing that. Okay, that was beer, probably 10 beers at Nam. No. But the beer was a Gatorade. No, it was, it was a seltzer. So maybe was that was a Gatorade why. seltzer? I don't know. It was a Gatorade you seltzer. You probably get that was smell from about a mile away. It was yeah. blue. And so for some reason I was doing something and then I went to smell the glass and I was like, what? And then someone caught me doing that. Right. So yes. So you are correct. Smell the beer, not the glass. <laughs> Yeah, but then, and, and as a, I mean, I'm a certified Cicerone, and, um, you know, there, there was a lot of that that also came naturally based on my experience being a chef, um, you know, so learning how to brew and what the components yeah. were and, you know, grains and 
of course I didn't know as much about yeast then because I was a pastry chef but um, I definitely know more about it now and um, yeah so and then it was a natural segue without putting words in your mouth tell me if this is a correct way to say it you were not a beer fan but you turned into a craft beer fan Yes. Okay. Yes. And then, how about this one? Because sure. there was just coming through my like head as soon as you were talking about this. So if it wasn't for that that coffee, that lack of being able to get the coffee because the line was too long, yeah. would you kind of say that that started to really change your life a little bit? Um, yeah. I <laughs> I fear that Wayne sniffing everything that was put in front of him was probably going to change my life anyway. But um, <laughs> <laughs> if anything, because it was so annoying and I just needed to figure out what the heck he was doing. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, I have, um, it is, it's, it's a natural fit. I, um, I, and, and just like with all, with all learning and, you know, I do not disparage any of the commercial breweries that are out there and anything that they produce. Um, they do a magnificent job of creating the same thing every time on mass it huge volumes. And that is very difficult to do. Um, and they also have a lot of money so they can send people to get their doctorates and their doctor doctorates in some very, <laughs> very, very narrow piece of, um, you know, what, what brewing is, which I also appreciate, you know, um, as a, as a craft brewer, most people think of, of doing what Wayne and I are doing, which is you get in the back, you brew a beer, you put, you know, you get it into some vessel and into a different vessel so that people can drink it. And, um, and that is largely the life. Um, there's, you know, and, and this is, it is a craft. It is a learned skill. Um, so, you know, books and, and stuff are great and they are awesome as a supplement. And I would advise everybody who can to go to brewing school so that they understand all the mechanics of it. Um, and, it's still a craft. It is something that, that you've got to dig into and figure that out. Um, so yes, it did lead me into craft brewing, um, as I think of it more of a niche for what I already did as a chef. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so yeah. Well, all right. That's a great way to start this. <laughs> Why, thank you. Now you get to keep it going. All oh, right, he'll then. have no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Where do you want to start, dear? Well, uh, to tie back to a little bit of a deep dig, my maternal grandfather uh, was a home winemaker, and I inherited, it, of the various grandkids, I was the only one who took up a hobby of making something fermented. So I sort of inherited a bunch of equipment from him. There is a little bit as a result of a loose family history uh, in the brewing or at least fermenting. He was making wine. My father very briefly did a little bit of home brewing. Uh, but this was, as I understand it, uh, late 60s, early 70s. The information that was available as well as the raw ingredients that were available were not remotely like what is available now and as a result uh, the ability to make something that tasted I believe as he kind of hoped it might taste was also somewhat limited so that hobby didn't last long for him as a result I sort of inherited all of that piece of my grandfather's stuff 
uh, my friend with whom I started homebrewing some years late, you know, later in time, this is in the late 80s that I started homebrewing, uh, he has now inherited my grandfather's uh, former stuff at this point because he's got a house and we don't and stuff takes space. <laughs> Um, yeah, you just have a big brewery. Wait, I was going to yeah. say you live in your brewery? <laughs> right. um, but so that was kind of how it, initially I got intrigued by the idea of beer and really to a fair degree alcohol beverage, but especially beer by that friend uh, who suggested to me on one occasion um, that rather than not drinking anything at all or if i was going to drink something drinking like some cheap mixed drink or something like that that i tried drinking a beer and you know it'd be great if someone had this on video at this day <clears throat> but if and i said oh man i really don't like beer that much i mean and it comes out of exactly the same place as what laura was talking about in that my understanding of what beer was was industrial light lager and I just didn't especially enjoy you know industrial light lager and and I was you know late teens early 20s and such and so you know that wasn't especially intriguing to my palate at that time so it's not entirely surprising um, and I essentially understood alcohol beverage as a means to an end uh, that it's something that you consume, whether you were drinking beer, wine, liquor, mixed drinks, whatever, you drank it because you were looking to get drunk. Yeah. For, you know, whatever reason you might yeah. have, but you were drinking it to get drunk. <clears throat> and my friend said, no, you should try this beer. This actually tastes good. And that was the, well, that, that plus then me actually trying those beers was the aha moment. Where and so for what it's worth, the beers there were three of them. Uh, two of them were from the Einger Brewery outside of Munich. Uh, they make great uh, lagers as well as some very nice Hefeweizens. And it was their Oktoberfest and their fairly well-known Doppelbach called Celebrator. It's got like a little goat yeah. hanging around the neck of the bottle. Yeah, that's a and then beer. and then it was a uh, uh, beer from northern France in a cork champagne bottle called. Trois-Mont, or Three Mots, Three Mountains, Three Hills, whatever. And it's like an 8.5% uh, guard, French guard. And all three of those beers, I tried to, and I was just amazed. I was like, this is I beer? actually enjoy this. <laughs> it, yeah, it didn't remotely resemble what I had thought the word beer meant. No wonder you're making the beers <clears throat> now that you're making yeah. now compared to the first beers that you had tasted to make you in the right. previous and yeah, it, and so that kind of, that, that was the initial spark that, where it was like, oh, this stuff is really interesting and fun. And I could, all of a sudden, I could imagine drinking this and doing it just because it's really fun to taste and smell and experience rather than it's a means to an end to get drunk. Um, instead, it's just fun for its own sake. Well, and it's funny how, how much of the craft beer industry follows that that same origin story because all the brewers that started brewing back in the 70s 80s pretty much it was because they experienced these german beers or belgian beers or french you know these beers from europe that sure. were vastly different than the light lagers that that's about all we had at that time across the country was mostly the light lagers 
except for one or two little breweries that you couldn't get anywhere unless you went to the brewery, you know? Right, but, right. I, it was, well, at the time I started drinking, it would be several years before uh, Anchor Steam, which at the time was the largest craft brewery in the country, um, came to Michigan and uh, or Sierra Nevada before they came to Michigan. New Belgium didn't exist yet. Uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager and Boston Lager only was available in Michigan. Um, Probably just barely at that time too. I would imagine. Yeah, I, I would say. I know it was, we, it was we're all new. sitting here talking about this, and everybody's like, "Those beers are everywhere." And it's like, "Well, yeah. they weren't at one time." Not at that <laughs> point. We so my uh, homebrewing buddy and I did a road trip to Chicago, which from where we lived in the suburbs of Detroit was a three hundred plus mile each way road trip to be able to go to a place that had. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and Anchor Steam. Wow. We did a six or seven hundred mile road trip to taste Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. So that's how hard it was to get craft beer back. That's funny because now like the, probably not the newest, but one of the newer terms you're hearing in breweries are destination breweries. Sure. <laughs> the destination <Yep>. beer at that time. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah, and, and so um, we went to the Goose Island Brew Pub which was very new at that point. They opened in 88, and I believe the first time we visited was about 1990 or so. Um, so they were a very new brew pub at that time, and uh, there, there were hardly any breweries in the greater Chicago area. There were zero breweries in the greater Detroit area. Uh, there, were, there, were three, there were two breweries in the entire state of Michigan which at this point has, I believe, the fifth or sixth most breweries in the country. Um, it's typically the slot one behind Colorado for, uh, you know, like the top number of breweries in a state. Usually Colorado's around number four or five and Michigan's around number five or six. It's, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of maybe 350, 400 or so breweries. Well the they might be into the 400. Yeah, yeah right. I, I can't keep track. But in any yeah. case, it's a lot. And at that time, there were two. Jeez. <laughs> and, it's hard to fathom these days. Now that we're we're cresting on about what 9,000 nationwide, right. and to think, and the the closest one to know. Detroit was in a town that was about an hour and a quarter, hour and a half drive away. Uh, a little German-themed tourist town called Frankenmuth. And then the other brewery is this tiny little place no one's ever heard of called Bells. Uh, <laughs> but that was yeah. two and a half hours drive away. And so, you know, those beers were very limited slash non-available even in the Detroit area. Um, so... If you wanted to drink specialty beer, and this is interesting, it's something that came up very much as Laura was studying for the Cicerone exam. If you wanted to learn about uh, flavorful beer styles, historical beer styles, craft things that craft breweries do now, but it wasn't craft breweries doing it in the country very much in the late 80s. I mean, there were, the, craft, the breweries that existed were doing it, but there were so few that it hardly counted. Uh, at that point, if you wanted to drink beer with style, history, flavor, character, and all of that, it was basically drinking imports, uh, largely from well-known European brewing countries, you know, Germany and Britain and Belgium being the probably the 
three best known, but really any of the European countries had pretty substantial brewing traditions to one degree or another. Um, and so that was where, they, that was the beer that we drank to drink. If we wanted to drink, whether it was a pale ale or whether it was a Doppelbach or whether it was a Belgian Trappist or other style beer, well, you, you drank those beers from those countries because you couldn't get it from a U.S. brewery at that time. The breweries were either hardly making them at all, like in the case of Belgian-style breweries, uh, beers, or there were just so few breweries around and their distribution was so limited that unless you lived in like a couple of the hot spots, maybe along the west coast of the U.S., yeah, you know, Pacific Northwest especially, uh, or, you know, in that, even the state of Colorado, you know, how many breweries were there in Colorado in the late 80s? I mean, 1988, a number of breweries opened. So if you were to say, okay, before 1988, how many breweries were in Colorado? I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of one. I mean, other, you know, not, not counting Coors. Right, but, Coors. Uh, but it was Boulder Beer Boulder. Co. They opened in 79. Uh, but other than that, I mean, how many breweries existed? And so as a result, you just, these things from American producers, you just couldn't get them. So if you wanted to try these beers, you had to try them from the European historical traditional producers and so that was where I learned about beer styles and such and of course in in Laura's case when she was studying for the Cicerone exam her primary experience was drinking from local craft breweries drinking beer in the last 10 to 15 years it was mostly from local craft breweries rather you know just the occasional imports from Europe or wherever and the thing is, if anyone who's interested in taking the Cicerone exam, be well aware that, for the most part, if you want to learn about beer styles, drinking U.S.-made beer is not very helpful. Right. You need right. to learn yeah. about the European examples, and you need to try those. Uh, I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but if you want to know what you're going to get asked about, it's largely not going to be questions about anything from a U.S. craft brewery. It's going to be about the traditional beer styles. Well, the traditional beer styles didn't come from a brewery that's been around for 5 or 10 or 20 years. They came from a brewing tradition going back centuries in this particular area of Europe. And that's what the Cicerone exam is going to ask you about. Right. And these brewers that are making, you know, uh, like a Belgian quad or a Doppelbach or a Weizenbach or something, it's like they're making those styles, but they're trying to hit the mark of what they tasted from these European brewers. And, you know, they may be coming close, but when you get to Cicerone, it's such an advanced thing. Like the best way to put it is most people are probably more familiar with sommeliers in the wine world. Exactly. You know, that's a term yeah. that more people know, I think yeah. commonly. And, you know, you, you see a sommelier who's like, oh, this is a 1988 blah, blah, blah. Cab Sauvignon and the grapes were grown here, and you're like going, "What? How can you do that from tasting?" <laughs> right. But that's what Cicerone that's, is too Cicerone for beer. Cicerone is actually designed so you to have be to go. for beer what a psalm is for wine, right? Um, so that it could give beer more credibility, actually, at um, at the table and as a um, a beverage of choice for people. Um, it wasn't just something you drank to be refreshed after you mowed the lawn. It was, you know, it was something that um, could stand up at tables, um, in my opinion, better than wine, 
Um, but you guys bill it that way. When I'm, like looking at how you do it, I love how you say it. Like your beer is meant to be at a picnic or refreshing probably after mowing the lawn. Right. But it's also meant to be something that you can pair with something very like high end and fine dining. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I that's a that's a really um, brilliant way to make people understand like the beers you make and the wise the whys too behind why you create them. Right. Right. Yeah. Well and what really stands out a lot about Burns family is, you know, you the array of high A B V beers you have. So, you know, and, and I say that not because, oh boy, let's come in here and get hammered. It's like when you have, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten or more, and with your guys' array of bottles, you have a lot of different beers, but you cover a wide gamut with those high ABVs, and it is like pairing a wine with food. It's But you get a much broader palette, I think, to choose from with beer. And it is an, it's an enjoyable thing. It's an experience. It's not a... We, we it's definitely, not a chug it down and get drunk yeah. like we were talking about you were mentioning earlier Wayne like the goal early on when most people's alcohol drinking experience is to get drunk eventually and it's like that's not the point this, the point is to savor the experience and enjoy the experience and that's what we hope that people do get out of our beers is, is literally an experience um, you know we want it to be memorable we want it to we want the experience to last um, and that's with our lower gravity and our higher gravity offerings right. you know we want to make sure that every beer that we produce has a lot of depth the reason that we do you know make sure that approximately half of our taps are um, at 10 plus percent alcohol is because Wayne is a unique brewer who figured this out 20 plus years ago um, how to make high alcohol beer taste balanced and um, delicious off the tap and also after being aged and you know I mean not all of our beer is designed to be aged but um, after being aged we've we've got things in our cellar now that are 25 years old that Wayne made um, and they are still tasting delightful so they have definitely gone beyond the five-year mark that a lot of people <laughs> think they absolutely cannot sell our beer beyond that maybe it doesn't taste good at five years but maybe it will later and when we give our recommended aging notes on each of the bottles we make those aging suggestions based on full experience with brands that Wayne has already created that we have tasted over the years. And, you know, I mean, packaging has only gotten better. So, um, so you know. Do you sell a lot of those cellar bears here now, like, to go? Yeah, we have. have, yeah. We have, we have yeah, yeah, I mean, we're not, it's not legal for us to sell beer that we didn't make here. Okay, yeah. So the beers that we have that I brewed at other breweries over the years, oh, those it's illegal for us to sell. Sometimes, um, sometimes we create experiences that um, folks can come in, and we may or may not have um, embellished water that is in a bottle that um, may have come from a different location. Um, but um, there's something but, to be said about but the we Rocky Mountain spring we do, water. We fresh do not from the sell. <laughs> we do not sell beer that we have not made. We sell experiences. So, right. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so I, I would say as well, 
I particularly like the, the wording that Laura came up with to put on our labels um, is that the beers, in, like the number of years varies from beer to beer. So whether it's one year or five years or 10 years or 20 years, whatever the story might be in terms of the specific number, but that the wording is ages gracefully for fill in the blank X number of years. And I think a key part of that is part of what can be fun about aging beers is it's an option. It's, it's a choice to play with and see if it's an experiment you can do. And you can say, for example, well, I enjoyed the beer on tap. I'm going to buy one bottle or six bottles or three cases or whatever. I'm going to take them home. I'm really enjoying the beer and I'm going to drink them now. And, you know, or over the next few weeks or months <laughs> or whatever, you know, right. but okay, all, so every single one of them today. <laughs> um, but I know a few of those people. <laughs> but, uh, and that's absolutely fine because, I mean, ultimately, uh, to paraphrase the very well-known uh, wine writer, Robert Parker, uh, wine, you know, he said, you know, wine is, the point of wine is to drink it and enjoy it. It is not for it to become a collector's item on a shelf. He's like, you know, he's like, I, I hate to see it when people buy and they drive up the price by purchasing these, you know, limited release, highly regarded wines, and they drive the price up even farther by buying it, and then they don't even drink it. But they, they've got it on their shelf and say, hey, I've got this thing. And, you know, the, the point is, in my opinion, um, drink it and enjoy it. And so thus, I think it sort of follows, drink it when you enjoy it. And someone might tend to prefer a particular beer style, whether you're talking about something like a um, age-worthy Belgian strong ale or a rich uh, German-inspired uh, Doppelbach or any of the various more traditional ales like uh, Imperial Stouts and Barley Wines and such. But whether you're looking at it as a relatively young thing from maybe like, you know, zero to one or two years, or whether you're looking at more mid-age of three to five or seven years, or whether you're looking at it in a really long-term time frame. The thing that really matters, though, is when do you personally enjoy it? And boy, when you find that you really love it, then absolutely stop holding it. Enjoy it. Right. Share it with your, your, you know, drink it yourself, share it with your partner, share it with your friends, but enjoy that wonderful thing that you're really, in, that you find that you really like at this time, whether the time is the day you buy it, or whether the time is 10 years later, or whatever the story oh, is, but, you know, some folks, like, like, for example, I think, like, an obvious case would be a beer like a Hoppy Barley Wine, so say a beer like Sierra Nevada Bigfoot uh, barley wine. Mm -hmm. It's a very hoppy barley wine, but it's a beer that, you know, it brings some of that rich barley wine character to the table, rich, malty, caramely, grainy barley wine character, and also it brings a pretty firm snap of hop character. Well, some folks really like it when that, when it's young and that hop snap is really popping strongly, and of course, if you were to age it for some years, that's going to soften. And the richness of the grainy characters is going to, in the relative intensity of the flavor and aroma, it's going, the graininess is going to increase. 
neither one is inherently better or worse, and then it becomes a question of how, which one you prefer personally. Do you prefer it when the hops have softened and you've got a little more rich sort of secondary malty aromas, like the sort of toffee, uh, caramelly kind of character, be, you know, richening and richening the thing up? Or do you like it when it's younger and the hops haven't softened and it's still really popping and, and uh, snappy, crispy hop character as a firm thing up front? There's no right or wrong answer on that, but it evolves over time, and you can go through that experiment to find out where you prefer it more or less. Of course, in order to do so, you have to buy a number of bottles and then try them periodically to find out. Um, but again, that's part of the fun. It's an experiment that you can do, and it's an interesting thing to try out with yourself, with your partner, with your good friends who you share beer with. It can be a really fun thing to do. We talked with a group of folks who they do that. It, the reason Sierra Nevada Bigfoot is partially because Sierra Nevada is a terrific brewery and we really enjoy their beers. But also this guy came in and told us a story where he and a group of about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of his buddies, they buy one or two cases of Bigfoot every year. So they've got every vintage of it and they've got multiple cases. And then every year they do a 10 year vertical and they do it as a blind tasting. And then everyone just says, you know, I, this is, you know, beer number three was my favorite, beer number seven was my second favorite, you know, and of course they're randomized, they're just numbers. And then they just tally it up and they say, okay, what was voted the favorite age of Bigfoot barley wine? And they, and et cetera, down the, and so they've learned that their particular group likes Bigfoot barley wine plus or minus five years out. It's, they, they like it best between maybe three and seven years. That's their group's favorite. It's not to say that it's better or worse between three and seven or one or ten. You know, I, he's like totally hitting on the beer geek right have, now. I'm just like, no, I'm like, I have this is my nirvana. This is my nirvana. <laughs> you live in a 24-foot RV. You cannot encourage him to buy all this beer and try to figure out a place to sell. Well, thousands of cases I mean, of beer. We, we absolutely um, have a lot of fun when people come back and they, they talk about even our vintages, which obviously started in 2018. Um, so you can get verticals of our beers. They're not 10 years out, but, um, but again, but the idea they're going to be, right? Oh, you eventually, have plans, yes. We're going to have yeah. to be around for about 10 years. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the, but again, the idea is allow it to be an experiment. If you, if mm -hmm. you're really impressed by our beer right now, as it is off the tap, then mm -hmm. darn it, pop that bottle when you get it home yeah. or whatever. And, and make make whatever it is that you're doing whatever reason that you've got for popping that bottle make that your special celebration experience it can be when you know you're creating that report at two in the morning that you should have done at six uh, <laughs> last week um or or you're with a group of friends or you know um your your partner is allowed to drink now after giving birth or whatever it is um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be some big, amazing experience in order right. to enjoy beer. We have to remember that beer is supposedly the common man's drink. And so um, there's, you know, anything can be elevated as long as 
we create a beverage that is elevated and that's what we try to do is we you know we put a hundred percent of our passion into creating the beers that we create we don't create anything well okay uh we don't release anything that we don't think tastes like we intended it to or um as it has convinced us that it wants to be because the beer is, is a living organism it's got yeast in it and it will be what it wants to be but we're going to understand it first and we're going to be able to say oh yeah okay i get it and you know our intent was this and i can see where it's pulled in some character from this or that but we understand it first before we put it out to the public um and it is based on huge numbers of years of experience you know wayne's depth is uh you know i mean you got your well, you should probably tell how you got into professional brewing because you haven't well, right. gone there yet. I haven't gotten but, there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne's stories can last for a long time, but um, you know, this, this is just an aside. <laughs> but was you know, that, that and in my experience with food and um, just it, and I am, am a brewer and I am a certified cicerone and um, and we we want everything that we produce to be something that feels exquisite to the consumer um and and that means that you know we're not satisfied until it's it's got depth and breadth whether it's a 2.8 percent saison or a, a 20.15 triple barrel aged solar eclipse um so you know so you should probably go I, into well, here well you, like you said that beer's I, the common man's drink and yeah. i love how you pointed that it doesn't matter when it's like beer can make thursday night your thursday night meal right just an enriched experience yeah and it's like help you get that much more out of life and enjoy it don't don't wait for somebody this special it's got to be only this six months down the road target thing that we have yeah i mean there are moments like that there there are wonderful ways to to save beer for those kind of things but don't wait because we because like we've all experienced the last few years like we don't know what comes tomorrow so let's <laughs> let's enjoy yes. today yeah. too yeah we've you been, know don't forget yeah today. Well, we've been doing that more and more like we're just mm-hmm. i mean we're, like i said we live in a 24-foot rv and we travel everywhere and right now we're parked in this you know we're oftentimes parked in his parents' driveway because we're hanging out, meeting family, and hanging out with family. And in that moment, though, when we're just hanging out and it's chilly outside, we're just cooking a meal in the, in the RV, just like you would cook in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I've asked him, all right, what beer pairs well with this meal? <laughs> like, what spices are you I'm the one that always house? brings home too much beer. We have too much beer. <laughs> so we we're, have to drink, so it. drink it. Right. So, it's so like, okay. we're even doing that now and just like, what is going to make solved. this meal more interesting and more of an experience, like you said? So I do love that idea. Yeah. Um, and then to segue more into what you're talking about and to get into how you even mm-hmm. got into brewing. There's a couple of things that I was thinking about when you guys were both talking is, so first, um, what was I thinking about? Okay, first of all, you just opened really not that long ago, it was like 2018. And so I think a lot of people think anybody who opens up a brewery in Denver is a little bit crazy. <laughs> but you seem to have a very, very unique um, take on it. And if you have that, I think you'll probably do quite fine opening up a brewery in Denver. Um, but you can tell us more about that. And then also, I was just thinking too, is like how long or when did this idea come? Because you guys have both been in the industry for years. So when did this idea come to, to fruition that you should like 
open up your own place. Well, in a nutshell, this is where brewers go to die. They open up their they open up their <laughs> own their own place so that they can be in control of what they do, and then they hope for uh, success and they retire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I it it I think I think um, stratagem wise, in terms of you know, let's open up our own brewery. Wayne and I knew that we worked really well together. And um, and we are the type of couple that, for the most part, like to work together constantly. Um, and you know, obviously, something to take into account when you want to work with your partner. <laughs> but <Yes>. um, <laughs> right, but um, right. So we, Do you actually want to spend twenty four hours a day in the same? home slash place of work slash car in between with your <laughs> yeah. significant other yeah. or do you not and right. again there's no right or wrong answer there but right. it's yeah. something to be aware of but i have i mean it just so happens that i think we and then and then um our our style of approach to our pretty much anything we do i suppose is based on technique first and um excellence after you know technique it has to be built on technique so um i do like to describe us as more traditionalists than um than some other folks out there who are creating things um brewery or otherwise and and so i think from that standpoint we knew what we were aiming for in terms of opening a brewery you know we we knew that we wanted um like i said people to have the experience for them to discover the elegance of beer to them for them to um discover the many different ways that you can enjoy beer and also to um explore wayne's superior talent in creating beer like i said i'm, I'm a brewer too i'll always be um, subject to the master. Um, I learned from him and I've been brewing for 11 years now. Um, and so, you know, but he is always my teacher. He, he knows, he has a depth of knowledge that comes from, uh, when did you start it professionally? Comes from being old. Yeah. Well, well, started professionally many, many years of brewing. brewing in 92? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and I mean that that kind of a thing. Um, it, it's one of the things that we've joked around with a bit. Um, that I say, generally speaking, I'm in my mid fifties, as is Laura. Um, so I'm much older than she is. <laughs> yeah, for uh, the moment, <laughs> he's three months older than I. Am. Yeah. So for the moment, he is right now. I'm one year, year older, than her. older than me. <laughs> right. I'm not editing this, by the way. Everybody's gonna know how old. That's okay. It's all, all right. of us yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> But I joke with folks that uh, one of my biggest advantages as a professional brewer is I'm old. Um, and I said, you know, in my life experience, generally speaking, in most areas, I'm not a fan of getting old. Um, I do, Laura and I together do, a, we do a lot of fairly aggressive outdoors stuff, technical slot canyon descents and mountain climbing and stuff like this. I've run a bunch of marathons in my life, etc. Et this kind of thing, these aggressive outdoor events, and so none of those things really play to the wheelhouse of being less young. Um, and 
So well, there's that, something it, to be said for endurance at, at, at a certain point, although <laughs> it lasts very short time. <laughs> Keep playing. We understand snowboarders, mountain bikers, yeah, we get it. Sure. And, uh, but one thing that being older has helped generate for us that is essentially impossible for younger folks is we have professional experience and professional and personal friendships that go back many decades. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big one for name dropping, but for example, Matt Brindleton, a fairly well-known guy uh, in charge of Firestone Walker Brewery, he was a Michigan guy. And so I got to be friends with Matt in the late 90s. And I've stayed friends with him since. And so it's one of those things, I see this guy not that often as it is, he lives a long ways from me. But, you know, when you see someone like this, you know, you see, hey, how's it going? A little bit of a hug and all that and what's new and all that kind of a thing. And you, you can't, if you're someone who's say 25 or 30 years old, you can't have a professional relationship that's 20 some years old. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's there's a lot of really <laughs> great, both friendship and camaraderie, as well as insightful dialogue and learning that can come out of those kinds of uh, personal friendships and experiences. So that's one thing I got going for me is I'm old. But um, <laughs> that has, again, you know, to some of the stuff that Laura touched on, uh, that sort of leads to us, I think, you know, we might have looked pretty, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, what we do might have looked, you know, really like doing all kinds of wild, crazy stuff that no one else is doing kind of stuff. Uh, less so today, because the amount of different things that people try at this point has increased, and that's fine. But at the same time, all of the things that we tend to do that are perhaps not a historically existing beer style, like, oh, a triple oak barrel-aged 20% ADV Imperial Stout. Well, you're not going to find a lot of those looking back through history. Right. Um, and particularly, if you go back more than about 20 to 25 years, you're pretty much not going to find bourbon barrel-aged Imperial Stouts, period. Uh, if you go back far enough before stainless steel, you might find beers that were aged in oak pretty much anywhere. Right. But it was aged in oak for very different reasons, simply because there wasn't metal to put it into. Right. It's what you had at the point. It was what you that had. Was it wasn't that you were doing this kind of stuff. So, you know, this kind of stuff on the one hand, it's experimental and it's trying different things. But on the other hand, it's still very much a, I think to her words, traditionalist approach to the sense of style and balance and flavor profiles in these sorts of things where we're trying to make beers that ultimately, uh, there's a uh, guy who for many years was an instructor at University of California Davis Brewing School, and he talked about how it's really important for a beer to be more-ish. I'm not really sure what that means. You wanna have more of it. <laughs> and like that's really a fundamentally important thing, character for a beer to have. More-ish? More-ish, that you want to have more. You drink one and you want to have another one. And so part of what that means for us is whether we're trying to make a traditional German pills or whether we're trying to make a, you know, bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout, 
we're trying to avoid the beer being rich on your palate in a way that leaves you sated and thus you don't really want another. It can be, you know, German pills can be very rich and complex on the palate and we hope that ours is uh, and etc. But we also want to drink another one when we finish the first one or the second one. Uh, <laughs> and we want, you know, and of course it's pretty intuitive with a beer like a German Pils. But if you then kind of go off the other deep end and you start talking about like double digit alcohol content, oak aged imperial stouts and things like this, those sometimes can have a flavor balance where you try a few sips and you go, wow, that was some remarkable flavors and complexity, but you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. Yeah. Thank you. I'm done. Yeah. I've and, seen a ton of that anymore. Yeah. There's and a and more I mean, I think that. some of that comes from some of the beers have uh, drifted in a direction of being more sweet, which of course then tends to make them more sating. Yeah. Um, so can but, I evidence what you're saying though? Sometimes with, well, I'm drinking an Imperial Stout right now. Is it Cognac? Barrel aged? Cognac barrel aged. Yes. It's 14.7%, but I'm telling you this right now, it does not taste 14.7%. So it tastes inter brilliant. Yeah, Interestingly enough, while I can't actually put that in writing, pretty much any time anyone says that to me, I say that's what we do. Yes. That is what we do. And you were talking earlier that your beers that are higher ABVs are balanced, yep. drinkable. Yeah. Right. You want more. I don't want you to drink. 12 of those no. while you are here, no. but I do put it into a bottle so yes. that you can take it home with you. So then you know, oh, that was pretty tasty, that four ounces that I had at the brewery. And I feel like I might want to experience that again, you know, break open the 16.9 ounce bottle and, and drink it over the course of a day yourself. I mean, we do this with wine all the time. Yes, right. People like to think that they don't do it with wine, but there's a lot of conversation. I just sat in the bath and drank a bottle of wine. Um, right. Yeah. So if you can do that, you can definitely open and consume by yourself slowly a 16.9 ounce Well, and these aren't meant to be full bottle. ice-cold beers either, no, so they're that's not, perfectly actually. fine. Yes, exactly. Like and a little loss in carbonation yeah. with it being open for, you know, 8 or 10 hours is not going to harm that particular beer. Um, and this is a beautifully sippable beer. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Yes. Thanks. Great. But that's, I mean, that, that idea of this does not taste at all like x percentage um is is a, an extremely common response yeah. to our beers um but it is not something that um that, there's no way to market that hey it doesn't taste like it's that high in alcohol <laughs> but it tastes um, like your description yeah yeah okay yeah. that's what i'm saying that's the point it but, tastes like the descriptors on your menu yeah. But then it's it also made so that when you take that bottle home, you can think of other ways to experience it, too, with your with the foods that you have or, you know, desserts and things where, you know. And, and I do think, um, as, as Wayne was saying about kind of the traditional aspect and the balance in the beer, um, we, we do want... <laughs> It's the nature of our business, right? We would like you to come back and drink more beer. But but more than that, we want you to drink the beer. And if it means drinking it slowly, you know, I don't necessarily want you to 
feel like you need to come in here, look at our 12 taps, and sometimes it's 11 or 10, but we only have 12, and approximately half of them are double-digit ABD beers. Um, that can, that our highest so far has been 20.2% um, alcohol by volume, and our lowest so far has been 2.8. Um, but we don't necessarily, I mean, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> We'd like to stress that. We, we're not going anywhere. We want, we want you to come and experience one or two and then come back. Or take a couple bottles home that you haven't tried. If you liked that one or two, you might feel inclined to feel like maybe you're going to like this third one that you're choosing a bottle that you haven't had a you know that you haven't been able to try off tap um but but we definitely want you to feel like that experience with you know even four ounces of a beer is something that you would like to repeat not necessarily all in one fell swoop i like to encourage people to you know only do three or four at a time so that their palate doesn't get fatigue which it can with high gravity beer um it can with high flavor beer hoppy beers things like that and um and then it it disturbs the flavor balance of all the rest well why do that to yourself you know just just enjoy two or three or four whatever and then come back we We'll make more. Here's a story that is a fun story that I want to tell. While Wayne had had plenty of experience in making wild and sour beers in his career, it wasn't something that we were thinking that we were going to devote one of our taps to here right away. Um, and, and we didn't. Um, and then it, it, our, um, our first anniversary came around, and I have um, stepchildren, so we have. They're um, children three years apart, and um, the eldest was um, announced her marriage shortly before our first anniversary here. And so we looked at each other and we said, well, gosh, your wedding is actually pretty important. So we'll forego having our one-year anniversary at the brewery. It was and we'll on go the weekend your... <laughs> of what would have been yeah. our one-year anniversary. Literally. Oh, so, wow. um, and on the East Coast. And, um, and, and our daughter didn't like beer. Um, I had been out there, too, um, a couple of times to, you know, share gallivanting around the town. And, and she likes She's cider. She's in Asheville, and, North Carolina, and, so a lot of good yeah, beer. I dragged her like to a couple of beer places, <laughs> but, but beer was not her preference. So what I said was, great, we'll come out. How about if we create some kind of fermented beverage for you? We can make kombucha. We can make wine. We can make cider. So I suggested that, and she said, well, you know, Mom, remember this beer that we had a year ago? Um, on, on her 21st birthday. On her 21st okay. birthday, Not after balls. drinking all day. <laughs> and then we went to a store, and um, we picked up a beer from a company called D9, and they do a um, a, a a brand series called System Nature, where it is a wild sour um, beer that always has a North Carolina fruit in a North Carolina, it could be another fruit, but it whatever it is, two things, and it was grown in North Carolina to add as a flavor component 
for that beer. And um, evidently, she liked it a lot because the flavors were, as many wild sours are, not so extremely beer-like. So we set out to make a wedding beer for our daughters who got married in um, August of 2019. And uh, we created for them a beer that was wild sour and um, this one had lavender and pomegranate. Pomegranate was their favorite fruit. Lavender is my daughter's name. And, um, and then from this wedding beer, we reserved the culture, the yeast culture, and we took that and created a genealogy of the culture, hence genealogical, um, logical based on science, right? But um, genealogical, and, and we have done a different version each time. We're, um, now we have V9, uh, version nine on tap, and um, it is always a Colorado-grown fruit. Sometimes it's another fruit, sometimes it's a nut, sometimes it's a root. Sometimes it's an herb. This is um, Colorado-grown blackberries and clover. So I think we're still in the early infant stages of it, where mo as far as drinkers, there a lot of craft beer fans even don't really know that much about wild uh, wild sours sure. and mixed fermentation. It's uh, yeah, and I know, think even a lot of a lot of the brewers are very much learning as yeah. they are brewing these beers and aging. You know, again these. Brewing is always a learning process. I think um, anyone who says anything other than that they're constantly learning throughout their career is, I don't know, they're having a different life experience than I am. But um, I'm just going to say they're doing it wrong. <laughs> but but <laughs> they should be learning all along the way. Come on. But I think especially when, you know, most like wild mixed sour beers, they're, they're not being made in a time frame of two or three or four weeks. Right. like say a pale ale or something like that is these things can take months or even years right. to from the day you make the liquid to the day that you actually say i'm putting this beer in a keg a bottle a can right? whatever you might be putting your wild mix sour in uh it can be months or years so you know like that how many iterate is you know just pick a number right say for ease of math say the cycle is six months it could be less it could be more but for easy math half a year how many times do you get to go through a cycle like that in your professional career if it if it takes six months to go through one cycle well versus if it takes two weeks to go through a cycle so you, you can get a lot more practice and a lot more dialing in and refinement on something that you do every couple weeks versus something that you do oh yeah in once six, every months, six months you can make 13 other two-week beers it's like yeah <laughs> and so that kind of a thing um i think especially in the area of wild mixed sour beers and i think it's also very true with non-wild mixed or sour but uh strong alcohol content it takes a uh, long time oak aged beers yeah. same kind of thing you're talking months or years depending on the particular thing but you, you're not making process. it in a couple of weeks, you know, you're going to be spending a few weeks or more fermenting the thing, and then you're going to spend almost certainly a matter of months, if not years, in some cases, we usually don't age our beer in oak that long, uh, we have reasons for that, but in any case, it's almost always at least a few months in oak, 
So again, the cycle, how many iterations of that do you even have a chance to try to do in your entire professional life? Not nearly as many. So I feel like there's always a tremendous amount of learning that's going on and it's a fresh experience in a very different way making those sorts of beers than it is making you know your whatever and it's fascinating to me as well i I worked at bells making hundreds of thousands of barrels a year and making an awful lot of two-hearted ale at oberon i still found that fascinating even though i was often making the same thing again and again and again and again and again but it was not actually just the same all the time and so uh as much as you're trying to learn from and trying to do the same thing again and again and refine it and dial it in, it's a constant learning process, which I think is just part of what's fascinating and fun about brewing and and beer in general. But I think especially in the areas of some of these things where the cycle time for the beer is measured in months rather than in weeks. Mm It, the amount that can be learned in one person's lifetime is very different, and you know it, it's not as much in, in my mind. You just well, don't. You learn it. different things though, as well. Yeah. Well, sure, and yeah, it's absolutely different. St- I mean, they're all interwoven and interconnected, but at the same time, you know, making you know at Bell's making Two Hearted Ale, the flagship IPA, is deeply interwoven with making Expedition Stout, the flagship double-digit alcohol imperial stout. Of course, you know, you're using parallel yeast, you're using parallel fermentation processes and all of this, but at the same time, it's also very different things that you have to figure out and make work. And I think that's one of the things that's really fun uh, in terms of making these sorts of beers. Well, it's part of the fun too, is just trying new things. I think that's one of the fundamental things of craft beer going back to New Albion in in 76 and really, you know, to Fritz taking over Anchor in the 60s is being able to drink something that's different from one or another variations of an industrial light lager. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with industrial light lager, but sorry to be a little bit of a nose thumb at the various incredibly skilled makers of industrial light lager, but if you do a blind tasting across various brands of industrial light lager, very few people can tell the difference. You know, and it could be, you know, it could be Coors Light and Michelob. Doesn't even have to be Coors Light and Bud Light and, and Miller Light and that kind of thing. You know, you can kind of let go different areas. Very few people in the blind tasting can tell the difference between Coors Light and Heineken for that matter, you know. <clears throat> There's not a wild difference there. So if you want something else, <clears throat> being able to try new flavors, different things, you know, and it's one of the things I've said going back to the early 90s as a professional brewer, look, I understand, you know, what do you like to drink? And they might say, okay, I like Budweiser or something. Okay, fine. And what do you like to eat? Because I was at a brewery restaurant at the time. What do you like to eat? And they're like, well, you know, I like burgers and I like pizzas and I like, okay, so here's the thing. You like burgers, but would you eat burgers three meals a day, seven days a week, no matter how much you like them? Well, very few people are going to say yes to that, you know? And so I'm like, that's kind of what I think is fun about 
these microbrew things, you know, it was before the craft beer thing was mm -hmm. the, the language, <clears throat> these microbrews. And I said, you know, part of the fun with that is I'm not trying to say to you, don't drink Budweiser or, you know, whatever, right. fill in the blank anymore. I'm not trying to suggest that. What I'm trying to suggest is maybe you don't want to have spaghetti seven days a week. Maybe you only want to have it five days a week, but the other two days you want to have something else. And so then maybe one of those other days you want to drink a Kolschbeer or a German Pils or an Amber Ale or something like that. And then you're sure you go back to your favorite, your, your old reliable, but you try different flavors. And I think that's like when Laura's talking about, you know, suggestions for someone, I'm not saying stop drinking wine. I love wine. I don't want to take people away from drinking wine. I like it if they also drink beer, but you know, <clears throat> drink something interesting and new and keep trying something. It's not that every single thing you ever try is going to become your new favorite, of course, but you're not going to discover some of the, you know, think about the things that you have now that you love. You didn't love that at some point in your life. There was a point when you discovered it when you tried it for the first time, you know, whether it was when you were five or whether, you know, that would most likely be spaghetti, but not <laughs> rather than <clears throat> rather Probably than wine. not craft beer or wine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there was a point when whatever was, say, you know, this particular red wine that you love, you know, I love Merlot or something like this. Well, there was a point before you ever had Merlot. Right. And the only reason you can now say, boy, Merlot is just great. I really love that is because at some point you tried this thing called Merlot that you'd never had before. And then you discover, boy, I didn't really like Cabernet, and I didn't really like this other one, but Merlot I really like. And without trying these different things, some of which you're going to like and some of which you're not necessarily going to, you don't get to find those new things that, you know, okay, 10 years from now, you look at you like, yeah, that's one of my old faithful, old reliable standards right. that I exactly. love. But those things all at one point were new to you. So keep encouraging people to try new things. And I think that's an awful lot of what the craft beer movement was about starting in the 70s and 80s and right through to today is keep trying different things, whether it be <clears throat> reviving historically interesting beer styles. I mean, you know, the Porter beer style died. The Whitbeer beer style died. It, these beer styles ceased to be made anywhere on earth that anyone knows of. For a period of several years <clears throat> and then they were later revived and those sorts of things sure go back and try those things learn about these things you may not become a porter lover or a whitbeer lover but it's breweries reviving these styles and trying of course you have to get a lot more obscure out and left field beer style wise now to find something that is you know hasn't been tried by someone but nevertheless you can still do it you can find those things and doing that kind of stuff is really fun and really interesting and it's it makes it i think it highlights this is not a means to get drunk right. going you know circling back exactly. that kind of a thing this is a fun flavor experience yeah. and a fun thing to share with your partner with your friends in is to try out wow i've never had something like that and i really enjoy it oh man that's too much of that i don't really like that one but this other one i liked and you know and that's that's part of what's really fun about craft beers. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a big part of our whole experience in mm -hmm. building what we've built with yeah. Living a Stout Life is just building a community around it. And that's what craft beer is all about. It's a community. Mm -hmm. And Great. I think 
Well, and I think to kind of wrap it up, really, yeah. is to basically say, um, we've always said, like you just said, beer is about more than just the beer. And you guys oh, are absolutely. totally saying it. it's about the experience of it. Mm -hmm. And Burns Family Artisan Ales is totally like embodying the experience of craft beer. And Thank that's, you. yeah, and that it's, it's been beautiful to even hear more about that. So I guess I would say cheers to the experience of craft beer. Absolutely. Thank you. See, told you. Beer is all about the experience. They nailed it with that because it totally is. And yes, it's about the community, but that's why it's about the experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the experience that we're still having with this odd lang sign, because I never know how to say that word, <laughs> is still happening because it's because it's three words, not one word. <laughs> True. But we're still having the experience with this beer because it's very, very good. That is such a wrong way to describe this beer as very, very good because that's just too simple. Yeah. There's so many flavor nuances in this. But anyhow, we're enjoying the experience of it. And it's 16.9%, you said? so. No, it's just 16.1. Okay, 16.1. So we're it's sipping. Mellow. It's a little beer. And we're going to continue sipping and enjoying this experience of this beer off air. Yeah, it was a little bit of a long podcast. So we're going to let you uh, soak it all in. And we are going to soak this beer all in. And we are... But not before. What do they have to do? <gasps> you could be the first person to buy us a beer in 2022 <laughs> you can we have a button on our podcast page on our website but aside from that if you would please subscribe follow leave us a review whatever they call that crap nowadays just like the podcast <laughs> and share it with your friends and with that i just want to say happy new year and happy holidays and all the good stuff and welcome to 2022 it's gonna be fucking phenomenal I can feel it. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Peace out. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs. <laughs>